Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. We're blessed to have this legend on the show, and I'm so happy to have you sharing your work. It's amazing. And by the way, you were a part of what I think is the best class to come out of the EMP program. It used to be called Birthing a Giants, now called the Entrepreneurial Masters Program. Yeah, Brian Bro was your your um, facilitator, right? Uh, Jeff Calababa. We oh, were, Jeff Calababa. Sorry. It was, it was Vern and then Vern, what, like halfway through Jeff came in. Got it. Yep. You were part of a different class. You weren't the best class. You're, you're a damn good one, though. Oh, no. Sorry. no. I, we, had, I had, uh, we had Andy Bailey, John Ratliff, Ken yeah. Sim. Oh, no, you guys, had, you guys had a really great class. I remember I remember where you were sitting. I remember where Andy Bailey was sitting right by the rail. Ken Sim was one of my first coaching clients. And um, yeah, you guys had a really, really good class. Yeah, it, it, it was it was an experience, you know. And for me, it, it planted the seeds um, for what became really my life's work at this point, which was, you know, building companies and doing it with the use of core values. And now I have the book coming out. So, and, and, but what what I want to say is, you know, we met there, you came back for my year three, actually. And then, and then, um, and then we connected a bit after that, but you're the person that introduced me to Ted uh, and, and really got me like in that world. And, and that was very, very, that, that's so formative to me that I based this show off of how I produce my TEDx talk, my TEDx oh, program. Thank you. Yeah, and and, and not only did, did we talk about it at TED, but you've been to the main TED, the um, uh, TED Active. I think we connected out one year. That it's a it's an amazing organization. Yeah, it's 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 a really special thing, and 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 it's inspired me to to change a lot of things in my life for the better. And anyway, you were the bridge for that for me. So I, like I said, one of the coolest things for me is to be able to get to spend times with friends and. And when I when I came up with the idea for the show about two years ago, I said, you know, the, the greatness machine is all around people who have lived their passions to create greatness, and it's hard to do that, you know. The, like like it, a lot of people like to be asleep at the wheel or get focused on something that's more traditional. And then there's people out there that are change makers that are always pushing themselves. And I really respect you and consider that you're one of those people. So I I'm really grateful to have you here, man. You you know where it came from for me is. Um this is going to go back way before. So, so one of the top three Ted talks of all time was Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. And um, what a lot of people don't know is, is Simon flew out to Vancouver to meet me in 2003, five years before his famous Ted talk. He wow. came out to find out if Brian and I were real because he read about us in fortune magazine. And um, Simon came out and we spent a full day together and he was drawing his ideas for what became four and a half, five years later, the book Start With Why. Simon was on our board of directors at 1-800-GOT-JUNK for a year and a half, spoke at our conference, helped us with our marketing way before anyone had ever heard of him. In fact, I was trying to get Simon a, a speaker's bureau to cover him and they wouldn't talk to him because he didn't have a book. <laughs> they, they magically missed out on an amazing speaker, an amazing business mind. But I got exposed to this whole concept of um, of your why, your core purpose, and really understanding your why. And and what I've always really loved to do is help entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. You know, and I, I learned that at College Pro Painters when I was coaching franchisees, and then building all the companies I've built um, as a second in command. 
And then in coaching CEOs, everything I everything I do is consistent with my why. So I think that's what helps me live my greatness is just understanding why I get up in the morning. And so, so yeah, so so a lot of the our audience are entrepreneurs, and 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 you're in their world, and 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 obviously in the entrepreneurial world, you're 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 a known entity, and then some. For those that are not entrepreneurs and that this is their first time meeting you, can you do you mind maybe giving a little bit of background on because I got to the vivid vision and I mentioned that, but do you mind giving a little bit of background on your entrepreneurial experience, how you got into what you're now into, but maybe a little bit of backstory there? Yeah, I was groomed as an entrepreneur. Um, my dad raised my brother, my sister, and myself all to be entrepreneurs. In fact, today we've all run our own companies for between 15 and 25 years. Um, so all I've ever really known was being an entrepreneur. When I was 21, I had 12 full-time employees in my company. I was running my a business when I was in second year university. I ran a business for three years while, and then when I graduated school, I had no debt. I bought a house and I started coaching entrepreneurs. So I actually started coaching entrepreneurs in 1989. Before, before coaching was a thing, uh, I was coaching entrepreneurs. I was with an organization called College Pro Painters, where we had um, 800 franchisees every year that we had to coach and train and hire and recruit. Um, 1993, I recruited Kimball Musk, who was Elon's brother, to be a franchisee for me, and also his cousin, Peter Reeve, who built Solar City. They both worked for me back in 93. I ended up being a reference for Elon in January of 95 for his um, first company, Zip2. I was a reference for their funding round when they only had one employee. No way. Then I went on and I co-founded a chain of auto body collision repair shops um, in Canada. It's known as Boyd Auto Body. In the U.S. is known as Gerber Auto Collision. We built that up to be now the world's largest collision repair chain. I left there after about four and a half years and I was hired as the president of a private currency company. It was called ubarter.com. Similar to what Bitcoin is doing today, we were doing it in 1998 through 2000. We sold the company in 2000 for $64 million. And then I left and became the second in command of a, um, a small garbage company. It was called the Rubbish Boys. They had just changed the name over to 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And I came in as the 14th employee. Um, I came in as the chief operating officer. And when I left six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system-wide. We'd ranked as the number two company in Canada to work for. Uh, we were operating in 330 cities, four countries. Uh, we had no debt. We had given up no equity. Uh, and we generated 5,200 stories about our company in the media. And this was prior to social media even existing. So mm -hmm. we took that company from 2 million to 106 million. I left there 13 years ago and um, started coaching entrepreneurs. My dad called me semi-retarded because I was kind of, I, I didn't really want to grow an operational company. I just wanted to kick back and I started coaching entrepreneurs. Some of the ones you you know, Razor Solomon. It was in your class for a while. And then Ken Sim, who built Nurse Next Door. Razor sold his company, by the way, for over $100 million as well. Right. Um, so coached a lot of really good, successful companies. And I've coached CEOs now in 20-plus countries. I've done paid speaking events in 26 countries on six continents. I've written five books. And about three and a half years ago, I started the only network of its kind in the world for second-in-commands called the COO Alliance. And I have a podcast called the Second-in-Command Podcast. So that's a... That's my bio, I guess. Yeah, you know, so it was funny when I was, you know, especially with with friends like you that have have accomplished a lot. I like to kind of like I, I I've seen it as it's happened, right? I realized, and one thing I realized in reading, like doing some research before the show, I'm like, oh shit, man! Like I met you a month after you left 100 got junk because that was June of 06, oh, of yeah. 07, Excuse me. 
And I didn't, and I didn't realize that then that you had like, like I, that was not something that was like on my radar. I knew you had just, you'd been there. I didn't realize it was that like early. Well, here, let me, let me give you another part that you might not even know. I was fired from 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I didn't didn't know that. Yeah. So I, so Brian, my best friend, still one of my closest friends, we we hang out all the time. It took us a couple of years to get through it all, but I was the guy to take them from 2 million to a hundred million, but I wasn't going to be the person to take them from a hundred million to the billion. So he knew that it was the time that I had to be replaced. We'd finished replacing the rest of the leadership team. Now it was my turn. And that was one of the hardest things for him to ever do and for me. But uh, two days later, I was speaking at an event on his behalf that he couldn't go to. And then a week later, I was speaking at the EO Global event about 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So here I am being let go from the company that I'd helped build. And I'm still out there as the brand ambassador. And you know, 13 years later, I'm, I'm still out there trumpeting it. And I'm written all over his book. And yeah, there's more to the story. Yeah, well, and it's funny because like it, it was it, it was such a big success, and for you to do that just says a lot about yourself, right? And and this is a value statement more than anything, man. Like that's a core values play that like you knew what you were good at and what you wanted to do, and then you took that and created so much. I mean, dude, you're you're ridiculous, dude. Like, like you kind of are. Like, like you really are because. Because you've created so much after that, and 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 the way you've done it's just been so impressive. And and um, anyway, I appreciate you giving that background. So so I have a question for you because because of your exposure to the entrepreneurial ecosystem, and because of your exposure, both from a I guess from a visionary and from an operational standpoint, and the fact that you specialize in working with number twos, but you do it in this visionary way. When when you're looking at what's happening right now in the marketplace, in the environment, with all these businesses, with your clients, with your people you're mentoring and coaching, what are you seeing? Like what, what's, what's front and center for you? Um, I think the big thing that, that's front and center is that the companies that are doing really well are the ones that are led by leaders that are leading and that, are, that aren't worried about what's happening. They're focused on a vision. They're driving towards goals. They're energizing the team. They're praising people. They're, they're creating momentum. And the ones that are struggling are the ones that are stuck, you know, staring at that social media, worried about fear. They're paralyzed by fear instead of, um, you know, deciding that it's going to be different. I, what is it? Fear is the acronym for false evidence appearing real or something like that. Right. Yeah. I think that's what's, what's, what I'm noticing is the real good leaders are leading. And um, in every time, and I've, in fact, my first book, Double Double, I talked in, in one of the chapters about how to grow when it's slow. And that was one of the things I talked about was in times of distress or economic downturn or, you know, issues like a pandemic, leaders have to lead because the followers are dying to follow someone. You know, they're, they're scared. So what what I would ask you, and you know, we talked a little bit when, like when we re-caught up a, like a month or two ago, and I when I think of your work around Vivid Vision, and it's so funny, like because of my introduction to a lot of the different work like you met simon in 2003 i met him in 2008 or 9 um and i met you in 2007 and you were doing the vivid vision work then and so and you know and i'm pretty steeped in the entrepreneurial community so people are always like have you ever heard of this book called vivid vision (laughs) you know yeah i'm like uh yeah i think i've heard of it like hey darius do you know this thing like there's this thing i learned at our eo chapter there's a guy named cameron harold i'm like yeah i know Cameron. (laughs) like you come up to me probably and it's funny like because you're so like entrenched in the community 
I don't know. I don't know if someone comes up more than you do, honestly. Wow. And so like, I don't know, I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but I'm telling you that right now, you come up all the time from many, many different directions. And so I'd love to know the bad ones. (laughs) No, no, they're, they're always, they're always good, man. They're always, they're always, they're always good. And they're always like meaningful. And it's just, it's a testament to the work you're doing. So my question for you is, when you look at, you know, how did you come upon the Vivid Vision work? Because obviously you worked with Simon. He, his thing was more of a marketing approach to connecting at a higher level. You, you guys did this at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Do you mind kind of digging into that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah. well, we did it before 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We did it when Brian, Brian's company was called The Rubbish Boys. My company was ubarter.com. And uh, another friend of ours, Dan, had a company called PadTech. Uh, 120 entrepreneurs from the EO chapter in Vancouver, which was my first mastermind group that I ever joined was the EO. It was called YEO back in the day, the Young Entrepreneurs Organization. Yep. And it was a, a network of, of entrepreneurs that owned companies doing greater than a million in revenue. We had a monthly lunch event where they were bringing in a speaker who was going to talk about sports psychologists and how high performance athletes utilize vision. 16 of the 120 went to the lunch. 120 people, 16 of us went, 104 were too busy, I guess. And we went and we learned how athletes utilized vision at the highest level to accelerate their performance. And the the professor was teaching us how if athletes could do it, how could we take that into the business world? How could we get the vision in our mind and communicate it to employees? So he gave us the idea. We went back to my office later that week, Brian, myself and Dan, and we each worked on our, what we were calling our painted pictures at the time, now called the vivid vision. Brian was writing one for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. I was writing one for the barter company, which we sold two years later. And, and Dan was working on one for PadTech, who he still runs today. So that's where we learned the idea. And then over the years, we started communicating it um, mostly at EO chapters and, and groups we were asked to speak at. Because our growth was happening and we were getting all this press, we ranked as the number one company in British Columbia two years in a row and then number two in Canada. People wanted to know how we did it. And we just talked about how we did it. And it was around vision and people and, you know, meeting and strategy. And we taught the systems and then it just took off. And then, uh, yeah, so that's where we learned it. Now, now, so when you look at, and this came up most recently for me, because I, I don't know if I mentioned it, I, I stepped down as CEO of my company um, back in November. And, and I was on a podcast earlier today and they said, what's the, you know, what's the, I, I think the question was something around like, what's the biggest, you know, regret or toughest thing you ever did. I said, stepping away as CEO, my company was really tough. And and the reason I did was because I had come to the realization that the life I was living, this great company, I'm very proud of what what I built there and what it continues to be built there. It's a a blueprint for a core value driven organization, like through and through. Um, But my personal core values were not aligned with my, with what I had been doing for many, many years. And I just felt like I, I needed to move in a different direction. And, and to come to that realization was super hard. And then the aftermath was when your identity is tied to being in these high profile roles and, and all the, I don't want to say accolades, but all the, you know, like when you're an achiever and you're doing like when you were, you know, one hair got junk and you guys had built that, dude, there's a lot of identity. I'm assuming that got tied to that you had done that and that you were the guy. You know, you and Brian. There was, so, there was so much identity tied to it that I refused to ever have it happen again. So I refused to ever actually let my identity become trapped and wrapped up in a brand. Um, and, and the reason for that is, was I just wanted to be me. So that's why 
I never decided to join a coaching group. I just wanted to be Cameron. And, and that's why, yeah, I, I will never be a part of, because I was a part of too many, I helped create it, but it, we created a cult, right? And it was by design. I wanted something more than a business and a little bit less than a religion right? You have to be in that zone of a cult. So once you're out of the cult and you look back in, you're like, oh, it's glad to be gone. Right. I, I don't. It's also really affected me that I'll never work overtime anymore. Like I'm done every day at five o'clock. Yeah. And, 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 the, and to have those boundaries, I think says a lot about, you know, what you learned and where you moved on from there. And so my, the reason I, I, and I appreciate that because I feel like there's a lot of similarity for me and, and so I, one of my, I have an accountability partner who's a very, 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 he's one of the most successful people I know. And I know, and through the years I've met some really successful people and he, and he brought up, your book, the, he's like, have you done your, your vision? Have you done your visionaries? And I said, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to, but I personally, I, I you know, I, I haven't done it because I'm, I'm digesting things right now. And I said, I'm really trying to get clear on my personal values because I feel like that's where I went wrong. And I, I don't feel like I, it's fair for me to create a vision until I'm really clear on my values because I don't want to like create a vision based off of like off of achieving, for instance, right? Because I'm a glutton for achievement and, but that doesn't necessarily align my values all the time. And so my question for you is, and, and this is me being a little self-indulgent is because I wrote the book on my book on how do you, and you had said this and I've been using this. I said, Cameron said I decoded the core values. So <laughs> he said it, it's real. Um, but I'm proud of that. Right. And so yeah. my question for you is when you look at the work or when you look at businesses doing that, I think it's easier to do it for a business than it is to do it for yourself because there's way more like, risk for myself, right? If I get it wrong in the business, like life goes on. If I get it wrong for myself, I got to live with myself. Well, the well, there's not only that, but I think when you establish your core values and you roll out your vivid vision for yourself to people, you're the only one to blame when it doesn't happen. You're the only one to blame for breaking it. Like you're very, you're very accountable. But I'll tell you in the business world, when you want to grow a really great company, like a 1-800-GOT-JUNK or like a Tesla, you really, really, really have to obsess about them mm -hmm. as if as if everything depends on it. So oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Without like, question. Right. Yeah. Like my, my core values for my company are pretty similar to what I think my core values would be for me. You know, deliver what you promise is my first one. That's easy. Be open and vulnerable. That's all. Like, that's pretty easy. Show respect for every, everyone. That's easy. Grow big, act small. That's just my small town values that I'm never going to let go of and then have some effing fun. And the only reason I said effing fun was a couple of my people said I couldn't say have some fucking fun. I like fucking fun better, but, but that's like so, so those are pretty consistent with who I am, right? So I don't think it's that hard to put them out there. I think it's harder to most people don't want to do the work of go, what do I stand for? What do I really believe right. in? And and so do you think that that's because it's easier to be asleep? I think most people don't even think about it. You know, remember that we're operating in a group of people that are already super high performance. You know, I don't know what the exact number is, but only 3% of companies are ever do more than a million in revenue, right? Let alone 100 million in revenue, let alone rank as one of the best companies to work for, let alone have net promoter scores of positive 90. Like, we're operating at such a high level. I'm in four mastermind groups. And people used to talk about the TED conference of being expensive. It's the least expensive of the four mastermind groups I'm in. Wow. The main TED conference is less than the Genius Network, less than War Room, less than Baby Bathwater, with less than Street of Coats, and less than, like, less than Mastermind Talks. I got six different Mastermind groups I was in, some for five years. Yeah. And so when you when when our peer group is operating at that high of a level, 
I don't think it's hard for us to put core values in place and live them. I think the the average person doesn't even know what core values are. Like when you when you go out and look outside at the average person living out there, it's just it's it's a quantum leap for them to even think about that. So I think I think that makes an amazing point. And and I and you take for granted what you get used to, right? Right. And sometimes, and and it, obviously you have a higher awareness of this than I maybe do, but. I, I just take it for granted. I'm like, well, yeah, of course you got to know your core values. Like how else do you make decisions? But to your point, like the average Joe is not doing that. And I think that that's just going back to what you said earlier in the conversation. I think that speaks to the power of leadership, right? Well, it's funny that guy, guy Kawasaki asked me, he said, why is it that every company you coach turned to gold? And I said, I only touch gold. Like I don't coach crappy companies, right? Like even when you were in the EMP program, well, I don't know what it was, but there were probably something like, 8,000 EO members globally and 65 were selected to be in that program. 65 a year out of 8,000, you're operating above the top 1% line. Right. So it's, it's kind of of no surprise, right? That, that you would know this stuff, but the average, you know, the, the 8,000 EO members would be exposed to it, but they're in the top 1% in the global businesses. You drop down a level to the average company in Austin or San Francisco or, St. Louis, they don't know this shit. They've never heard of Simon Sinek. They don't know of Ted. They, like, I'm amazed still at the amount of people that don't, because they're so trapped in either being busy or raising their kids or watching the NFL game they're watching. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here. And by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things. Pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, The biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment, and you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to The Greatness Machine. All you have to do is go to DariusScale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end, and it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's dariusscale.com. And now back to the show. So let me ask you a question because, and, and this, and this is, I think, this is where I'm, I've been struggling a lot over the last probably couple of years, but especially now in the United States, at least. And, and right now I think that there's a, a leadership crisis in, in, in the world. Massive. Okay. And so, and, and I think that, and what I've been saying to people is I believe the answer to this is, is what I I'm saying unapologetically is I believe mission, vision, and value-based organizations will be the leaders of the next um, 10 years in every single industry that there is. Um, and I believe that it will become that it is necessary for that happen so that entrepreneurship can become the model for change at the governmental levels. 
This is my I belief. Think, yeah, I think something is going to happen at the governmental levels because it just can't keep happening as it is today. And I think something around, I think social media is actually going to become our social consciousness that social media is going to allow the truth and allow a bit of an uprising to demand change. And you, we can't let government be run by bureaucrats anymore. Like it's just, it's, there's just too much waste and too many problems. Like as much as that I'll go, I'll go on the record of saying this, I don't like Donald Trump as a human being. I, I don't like him as a person. I think he's, I, I don't like how much he lies. Anyway, whatever. But I'll tell you, I certainly like a lot of the crap and waste he's trying to get rid of. I like a lot of the, how fast he's able to get some people moving. And, and I'm very impressed with a lot of the change that he's, I wish he would do it in a nicer way. You know, I wish he would be a nicer person. But I'll tell you, we, if we could have more change like he's doing with the right core values underpinning it, um, boy, we could have some, some, some stuff happening. Yeah, because he's not respecting the old guard ways, right? And, and I say that too. I go, look, like there's some stuff he does that I hate and some stuff he does that I like, but I could probably say that about any politician. Um, my issue with him is that I believe leadership starts from the top and I don't agree with his values. Therefore, I like there's no, no matter what, I can't support people of leader whose values I don't align with. Right. I could never let anyone work inside my company who treats people the way he treats or like you just don't call people names. Like we learned that in grade school and right. here we have one of the leaders of the, one of the, the leading country in the free world. And he calls everybody that he doesn't like by a, by some degrading name. It's just not, it's not cool. Anyway. Yeah. It's real simple. Leadership starts from the top. Right. So, so when you look at these and you're, and you picking one of, one of my core values is show respect for everyone that breaks one of my core values. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, my, mine is, is my number one core value is I call it, uh, it's, it's heart, which is happiness. And my second one is love. And it's like, oh, Bessos. And I'm like, look, man, like, that's not love. That's not. And my third is I have the tiger, which is what do we do to protect those that need protection? Right. Are we stepping up to actually have, be the voice of the little guy that can't protect himself? Because bull, uh, like, I, and I don't like bullies. A bully needs to get punched in the mouth. So when I see someone bullying, I'm like my natural insti- instincts and have always been. It's not like, I'm going to punch that guy in the mouth. Like, and so when I see this guy bullying, I, I go, look, I, everything in my body is like, I'm going to sock him in the mouth. I, t- I told somebody on the podcast, I said, I said, if I, if he said he, if I was standing in front of him, he's an older guy. And then he started talking shit to me. I'd be like, let's just take this outside, man. I'd take it outside with Donald Trump. And I would be unapologetic about beating his ass. <laughs> but that's just a core value thing uh, for me. <laughs> I'm just staying true to my core values, Cameron. Um, we may want to rework that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, my, my que- so my question for you is you're getting to work with some of these amazing, amazing leaders and, and these amazing companies. And right now we have a leadership crisis governmentally in many, many places in the world. Right now we have a, a real health crisis. And, 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 and when you see these things and you see that there are some people leading, I guess my question for you is, what can those do to emulate the ones that are leading? What, what, are, what are some ways that you see that there is a fix here? I, I, so I don't. My world is obsessing about great entrepreneurs and great entrepreneurial companies in the vacuum of everything else that's happening. I just can't worry about it all. So I don't know. I, 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 I would never, you know, like the biggest company that I've ever coached at the leadership team level, I coached the CEO and the second in command of Sprint for 18 months, you know, they're the 82nd largest company in the U S and I was coaching them. 
um, I was out of my sandbox. Uh, so my world is the entrepreneurial company. So I can't talk about how we can emulate leaders or how those leaders can change. I can talk uh, about how you can build fantastic company cultures and that's my zone. And so, no, I appreciate that. And so going, going back in that direction, then when, when, with the stuff you've been working on, you've published, you know, what is it? Four books now, three books, five, five books. I was off by one. Um, I, well, I bought, I think I've bought three of them. <laughs> one of, and one, my co-author of the miracle morning for entrepreneurs is, is, uh, based in Austin. Hello. Rob. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to be on his show. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I, yeah. We, we co-authored the miracle morning for entrepreneurs together two years ago. No way, man. That dude, I've, I, I don't know how he's, a he's a friend of, of a few friends, right? Obviously, you know, John rule and, 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 I, uh, I, was, I don't know. John, you, I was talking to John yesterday. He almost stayed at my house for the next four days. Yeah, he's he's such a good dude. He he introduced me to, to my book launch director. Do you know Amber Vilhauer? No. Oh man, you got to connect with her. She's I'll I'll make the intro. Um, she's amazing, but she knows how. She's he's a client of hers. So yeah, he comes up a lot right now, and that guy's doing really well. And and, and so going back to what I was saying before is here you are putting all this great work into the world. Um, you you've had five books. Like, what's next for you? What's, what's, what's next on your, on your conquering list? It's funny. I, I think back to your question about like, why are most people not kind of heart centered or following core values? If they would read the miracle morning for entrepreneurs and follow the systems that we put in there, they would wake up differently and start their day differently and be focused with intention and gratitude and, and visualizations. Like there's so many good things in those books that um, I could be powerful. So what was your question? <laughs> no, my, my question was like, with all the amazing work you're putting out in the world, what's, what's the next big thing for you? Well, the, the, the current focus is the COO Alliance, right? So I'm growing this network for the second in command because there's a, so many great groups for entrepreneurs and there, there were groups for marketers and engineers and lawyers, but there was never a place for the COO. So we have the COO Alliance. I have my podcast, the second in command podcast, and that's where we only interview the second in command. We won't interview the CEO. So I, I had Hal's uh, assistant on the podcast. I had the second in command of Bumble second in command of, of 15.5 and of Tiny Pulse and of the Cleveland Indians. So of all these great brands, uh, Shopify. So cool kind of getting behind the scenes with them. I have two more books that I'm um, working in the rough kind of content of right now. Um, one is on the highs and lows of CEOs. And it's just about why we're bipolar as entrepreneurs and how to ride that bipolar wave more successfully. Um, and then the second is around the two in a box model of the CEO COO relationship, where we really have that pure partnership with the CEO COO and how to leverage off of that role. Um, so working on those. Now, let me ask you on that second one. Um, I, I, I actually, the first one, I think you, have you is that a, that's a talk you do too, right? The, the, it is, it's a talk. Yeah. The highs and lows of CEOs is a talk that I do. Um, Tim Ferriss published it on his blog 10 years ago. He yeah. really loved it. And, and um, wrote all my content on there and talked about me on there and everything. Um, so yeah, that's been something I've talked about for years. I've had a number of entrepreneurs after either reading that chapter in double double or hearing me speak at an event on it have said that I've saved their life. Um, I had a guy walk up to me who was running a $50 million company, 5 million a year in profit, happily married, three kids, healthy, you know, involved in his church. And he came up to me and he said, you've saved my life. For the last six months, I've been suicidal. I thought I was going crazy. And now I realize I'm just an entrepreneur. Wow. And he was sobbing, shaking on my shoulder, standing right by the door at Endicott House at EMP, where we did that MIT program together. Like he was standing at the door, shaking on my shoulder. 
Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That shit's real. So there's, yeah. there's the, the, the problem for entrepreneurs is that we are very alone in our fear, in our insecurities, in our vulnerabilities, in our stress, in the fact that we've mortgaged everything, in the fact that we've just recruited somebody to join our team, even though if we're not sure if we're going to make it happen, like we're always kind of on that lunatic fringe. And people will be like, oh, I've got highs and lows too. Yeah, but you don't have your house mortgaged and you didn't just hire somebody away from a company and not sure if you're going to be successful and you're you're getting paid every week i haven't drawn a salary in three months or paid you know like we're just under a magnified amount of pressure and we can't talk to a lot of people about it the entrepreneur can't go tell his employees they're scared Uh, you know and you can't go tell your accountant friend or your teacher friends because they don't really understand so I, i talk about that cycle that we go through and how to navigate that cycle successfully so what do you, let me ask you a question because I think that there's something around like, especially with entrepreneurs, I do think that there's a, I won't say chip on an entrepreneur's shoulder, but I do think that there's something around proving that you're good enough and entrepreneurism gives you this, this, this tool. And a lot of it comes from achiever mentality, right? So a lot of entrepreneurs I know they're good at, they were athletes or they were doing, you know, they, they're, they're drawn towards sales jobs, things where you get like that endorphin shot in the arm that says I'm good. I'm the best, right? And so is there something around potentially what you're talking about, maybe around self-aggression that, that like, cause I'll tell you coming from my position, you know, I'm the biggest asshole in the world to me. I'm not fucking good enough. I um, better do, do more. I better build a bigger business. You know what I mean? Yeah, there, there's a lot there. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you a, an interesting data point that the medical community has nicknamed bipolar disorder as the CEO disease. Really? So most entrepreneurial CEOs are on the spectrum, on the spectrum for medication for bipolar. And, and it's because we're hardwired that the energy that we carry is why people will quit their job. It's why they will invest. It's why they will follow us. The stress and depression is simply us being too hard on ourselves and not taking a break and trying to work through it. And we don't understand how to navigate this natural highs and lows. And then it gets magnified because of the scary world we live in by ourselves. So yeah, we are trying to, many, many entrepreneurs are trying to get that third party validation, right? It's why they love the press. Look at me, look at me. Well, now what are you doing tomorrow? Right? Oh shit. Like we were on Oprah, but you know, a week later, nobody cared. It was still had to get back up and keep running the business. Right. right. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that is part of it for sure. And then because you so heavily identify with the brand, anything that goes wrong, anything that you see that's wrong with your company, you take it really personally. Whereas the reality is none of this actually matters. We're all going to die. Yeah. Like none of this actually matters. Yeah, no, I love that because it, it, it really sets that party. I actually think that's one of the reasons why having clarity around values and vision make, make is so meaningful because you can separate those instances of, and, and I had a, a, a woman by the name of Monique Rhodes. I, I don't know if you know her. She's this amazing, uh, like she has a business called the 10 minute mind. She's a New Zealander and she was a friend of mine through Stegen. And she said, you know, Darius, we beat ourselves up when, you know, when we lose and we celebrate when we win. And equanimity is about doing neither. It's about just being and, and experiencing. And, and the, the, my mantra that I'm landing on right now, and I, I actually wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this, is the win is the path. Right. Getting to be in the path is the win. And for me, I never have. I've said that to myself and been like, and, you know, you know, Stephen Jagger, right? Yeah. He lives 10 blocks from me, <laughs> nine blocks. 
so he was a foreign mate of mine uh, for a hot minute, but his brother, um, Mike, Kev, uh, the younger one, Kevin, Kevin. Yeah. I, know, I know Mike too, but, but Kevin spoke at my, my first TEDx event he did when the he was trying to, skater. yeah, when he was trying to become a speed skater. Right. And, um, and his whole talk was, it's an amazing talk. It's the name of the show that we did at the TEDx Golden Gate Park. The theme was the pursuit of passion. And his talk was called the passion of pursuit. And it was all around, like when he said, on my ride over here from SFO to the, the young museum in Golden Gate Park, he said, I had the cab driver ask me what I do for a living. And I answered, I said, oh, I, I'm, a, I'm a speed skater. And the cab driver then said, well, are you an Olympian? And he said, that would be like someone say, asking me what I did for a living. I said, I'm a real estate agent. And them saying, oh, are you the number one real estate agent in your country? He said, it's funny that that's where we go to with those questions. He said, but, you know, I started and he showed his whole story. He said, I did this because I wanted to enjoy the process of doing it. And yeah. with, not with the expectation of becoming an Olympian. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But, and I said, man, so I'm sitting there. This is the, my show that I'm putting on. I spent a year and a half working to like curate this thing. And I'm like, man, I wish I could enjoy the process for something. And I spent the next eight years and I'd spent the previous 12 years not enjoying the process, always wanted that outcome, always wanting to win. And I spent the next, next eight years doing it, built an enormous company. And at the end of the day, I realized this is an insatiable appetite. I could be running a $10 billion company and it won't matter. I will want to run a hundred billion dollar company after that. Yeah, it, it's, a learned, it's a learned wisdom that I think at some point most entrepreneurs learn. Sometimes it's from burnout. I, I was lucky to burn out and got, I got written about burning out in the Wall Street Journal 20 years ago, 20 years ago next month, where I was written up as one of four supernovas whose careers went really high and we flamed out with stress. So I was 34 years old and I was written up as, a, as somebody who burned out in their career. But I learned from that. Um, you know, when, when I met you, I don't know if you remember, but um, I weighed 37 pounds more than I weigh sitting here right now. Um, yeah, no, you're, de you're definitely way leaner. I I'll, I'll show you a funny photo right now because people will laugh when they see it. But this, this actually photo was taken. I was with Steve Jagger was standing right beside me when I took this photo, by the way. Oh, oh dude, I don't, is that where you look? I, I don't remember you looking like that. Wow. Yeah, I was 222 pounds. And you look at me today and I'm not weighing 222 pounds today. I'm weighing 185. This, I was 184.4 this morning, but at my heaviest, I was 222 pounds. I was standing with Steve Jagger getting that picture at his book launch. Um, so that was that was like 2007 or eight. I just wasn't a happy dude. And I had to burn out a second time to realize, to really kind of let it sink in that, yeah, this is just the journey. This is just fun that this isn't what matters, right? What, what matters, I don't want my kids. So I had this discussion with Dean Graciosi, who's a really famous marketer. Yeah. And we were talking about what we want our kids, how we want our kids to describe us. And when I asked the Dean this question, he started to cry and then it got me crying. I said, when your kids describe you to their friends or their friends' parents, when their friends' parents say, what does your dad do? How do you want them to describe you? Or what, what, how do you goes, well, they describe me as a good marketer and I'm on the internet. And I'm always selling stuff and I have a big company. And I said, that's what you want your kids to think of you and to remember you by. And he started to cry. I'm like, exactly. Like I'm the same right now. I didn't want my kids to remember me as a workaholic or somebody who is always working. I want them to describe me as the guy who golfed with them, went hiking with them, made family dinners and sat down with them. 
finished work at five o'clock because I wasn't trying to catch up because I'm never going to catch up. And, and I really have started to rethink like, what's the purpose? And the journey is fun. Like I enjoy the journey, but you know, getting every project done isn't the big goal because I'm just going to add more projects. Right. Right. So, so when, yeah, man. So I'm already there. Like I'm already successful. Everything I do. And I wrote about this in double, double 10 years ago, everything I, I wrote about 10 years ago, I said, everything I do from this point forward is a bonus. I'm already there. So, so 10 years from now, you know, what, what's, what's happening to Cam Harold in his world? I'm fully, fully, fully retired. I'll be 64. Like I'm definitely not going to be working. I'll have enough passive income or, you know, investment income that I'm not going to be. I'm going off the grid in about 15 months to start living globally where I'm going to be living in different cities around the world for one to three weeks, one to three months per city. Um, you know, building out the CEO Alliance, but spending time with friends, traveling the world, living globally. I've got, I could read you the list. I've got a list of about 35 cities that I want to live in globally. Um, and tax base probably out of Portugal or Estonia because I'm Canadian, so I can move move out of the U.S. tax grubs. Yeah. Oh man. When when are you doing this? Fifteen months from now? Uh, September of 2021. Because my my youngest son goes away to university in September, and my oldest son's already in university, so I don't need to be here. You know, they can come and travel to see me. I can come back to Vancouver once in a while, but I want to, you know, live in Barcelona, live in Amsterdam, live in Paris, live in Buenos Aires, live in Santiago. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Can you? Can, I don't know if you'd be willing to do this, but will you send a list to your to to to, the, to your friends like myself and let me know so I can come visit you? Yeah. Well, that's that's part of the that's part of the allure is like if I'm living globally, I get to hang out with EOers globally. What I what I'll probably do for that three to five year period, I'll still be doing my coaching and stuff for the next five years and running the CEO Alliance. But my plan is every city that I go to to connect with the EO chapter and the YPO chapter, speak have that money be able to pay for the bills for the month or two that I'm there and everything else is gravy, right? Everything else just gets uh, put into a pot and builds up as my nest egg. I love that, man. You just like, you just made me smile. I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be living in Spain right now, but then COVID Austin's hit. on Austin's on my list, by the way, dude. Like Austin's one of the cities I want to live in. I know, I know, <laughs> I know the area I want to live in and everything. Oh, well, when, when, when you do it, I can't wait till you're here. We got to hang out. Number one. Well, I will be living in the big black condo tower on Rainy Street. Yep. That's where I'll be living because I really like that little area, little bars and restaurants, chill there. for. I'll probably be in Austin for like, I'd say a month, maybe two months. Yeah. But too many friends that I want to spend time with and it's a really cool, fun area and I'll be in the same building as Brad Weimart. Yeah, cool. No, like, uh, and 15 months. All right. 15, that, I don't know what month that'll be that you come out down here, but September. Oh, I don't know when, I don't know when Austin will happen because it'll probably start with Europe first, but yeah, Austin's on the list, man. I'll send you the list. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Um, well, last question, uh, we're running, uh, uh, you know, up towards the end of the hour here, but, um, uh, I always like to ask everybody, and this is just my own personal, like, uh, like, I don't know, love of knowing this about people, but if you had, if you knew it was going to be your last meal on earth, well, have you have you ever thought about what that would be? And if you did, what would it be? So, I yeah, I did just think about it. Just I have thought about it before, but I just flipped one thing. I would probably make it because um, I have this recipe from a Canadian, Rob Feeney, who made these braised beef short ribs. That after they cook and cool down, then he chops them up and he deglazes a pan and kind of. Um, does them with the jus and a little mustard and they kind of glaze up and caramelize it's ridiculous 
Oh, and I would, I would serve that with a, a, this German Spätzle and cheese dish that I make that is just ridiculous. And I'd open a good bottle of red wine. Oh, I love it, man. Just maybe like, do you like to cook? I love it. I love to cook. Yeah. I'm gonna send you, I will send you the Rob Feeney recipe for braised beef short ribs. It's, um, it's about a four and a half hour from start to finish. Take your time. Enjoy the process. You get to chill for three hours while it's in the oven. Um, let me know what you think. I'll send you the recipe right now. I would love that. Yeah, that's thank you. I love. What what would the red wine be? Do you have a specific red wine? No, I'm I'm not picking. It would be a Burgundy. Oh, okay. All, um, all roads lead to Burgundy, right? <laughs> so, um, where can uh, folks find you? Obviously, like a lot of people know where you're at, but just for those that want to f- learn more about you, what you're up to, where they can find you, what wh- where where would you like to send them to? Yeah, well, all of my um, all of my books, my five books, are all available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. So that's an easy one. And then um, the CameronHerald.com is where all my information can be found, and the COO Alliance that website as well. Great. I'll make sure the team you guys we'll put those in the thread. So obviously, you go to, if you go to Amazon, it's there's a ridiculous amount of stuff on there for the on the book side, and obviously the COO Alliance and CameronHerald.com. So oh, and, and um, definitely the Second in Command podcast is just a really. It's a really strong, like the guests that we've had on now amazes me. When I was starting, I was like, God, I hope I can get to 10 episodes. I think we're at 112 today. So, oh, so I wanted to talk integrator visionary with you for a little bit, but I, but I, maybe that we'll save that for another time. All right. Uh, um, guys, what a treat, man. I swear this, like I'm, I'm the guilt. This is a guilty pleasure for me to do this show. Cause I get to talk to amazing folks like Cameron and this is such a treat to have you on the show, my friend. Seriously. Thank you so much. Thank you, Darius. I really appreciate it. I also grabbed a screenshot of you and I talking to send off to Steve Jagger right now, too. <laughs> he was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he, you know, uh, Jeff, do you know Jeff Booth? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I spoke to last time I talked to Jeff in person was leaving Mike Jagger's birthday party at Steve Jagger's house. And Jeff and I walked up the street together. No way. So he's going to be on the show, I think, like next week. That's I'll- a wonderful guy. One of the one of the best heart centered entrepreneurs a super sad story as well just on on how you know it's a whole other story but how much time and effort and energy he put into building the company and then being removed by the board out of their greed is is sad i i you know i was doing some research on him and saw that that because i i was like you know i know the name of that company i'm like oh it's this gazelle's case study i like didn't even realize like you know how this goes i'm like why does that sound so familiar i'm like oh because he's in he's a scaling up case study and then and, and then, and, and how it came up was, was Steven was like, he's like, you need to like, check out this guy's book. He's got this crazy book right now around like what's happening economically and, and what's happening he's in the a world. Smart dude, I didn't realize I listened to, to, um, to Jeff Booth on a podcast and, and I didn't realize the level of his intelligence. He's a super smart guy. Yeah. I, I, I went and looked him up after Steven re- re- and I'm a, I'm an econ guy. So I was like listening to him and I was like, wow, I want this guy. I want to talk to him. So he's going to be on the show. Um, I figured you'd know him cause you got those, there's, those are tight circles up in Vancouver that you guys all run in. Yeah. Um, it's so. funny that he was literally at Steven's house. I was walking up back up the street. So, um, well guys, again, we have all those links. They'll be in on the Facebook. And again, thank you so much, Cameron. I love you, man. And I really appreciate you be, you spending time with us. This is really, really warms my heart to have you here. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.